Welcome to the Big Fellas Podcast, where we chop it up about all things past, present, and future about the game of basketball. Where facts, stats, and context reign supreme. That is blasphemous. Sometimes it gets crazy, but we always keep it real. Always keep it real. Get ready to learn from players, coaches, and fans from all levels of the game and see the court in a brand new way. And now, fresh off the sidelines, here's your host, John Hartofillis. What it do, fellas, and welcome to the Big Fellas Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, J.H., coming to you from New York City, the mecca of basketball. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Chris Oliver, the president of Basketball Immersion. Basketball Immersion is the gold standard when it comes to educational basketball coaching content, and I'm very proud to have recently started working with them. In this episode, we spoke about how Coach Chris created the largest online basketball coaching resource on the planet, interviewing over 140 of the brightest minds in basketball, and why it's so important to share the game. We've got a going in store for you today, fellas. Episode number 39, Chris Oliver, Basketball Immersion. Hi, Chris. How are you doing? Wonderful, John. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you've been a huge mentor to me in my coaching journey, just with all the content you've been putting up and now working with you in the internship program. It's really been eye-opening to see the background of, of how everything gets done in terms of creating so much positive coaching content. So thank you so much for being that kind of mentor for me. And and just to get started on this episode, I'm, I'm kind of curious, and I, I start off every show this way in, in asking, how did you kind of get started with basketball and, and, and this love for spreading the game? Well, it's an honor to influence young people like yourself and uh, coaches of all levels around the world. And Certainly, I never expected that, and uh, that's not what you go into these things with that mindset of, but uh, I'm grateful for what it is. For me, so much of it was just authentically sharing, and uh, I, w- I was always really obsessed with practical, like sharing information that coaches can actually use. So I said, well, why don't I create a platform where I can authentically share exactly what I do uh, from my practices and uh you know, particularly, obviously, it became a real focus on sharing a games approach and basketball decision training and some things like this that, um, you know, m- maybe weren't as well spread or if they were well spread, they weren't as well known in terms of the uh, skill acquisition, motor learning or the evidence based ideas behind it. So even though coaches like yourself, maybe were using it, maybe you didn't know the evidence based support with it. So uh, that's what it evolved to. And uh, again, I'm grateful for that. And then Clearly, the podcast is something that came later, but um, has been something that, again, has uh, been incredible to be able to have conversations with coaches around the world. Uh, super interesting going on there. Who've kind of been some of the people maybe that when you were first starting, you kind of looked up to and said, you know what, this, that's who I want to kind of try to emulate in, in creating this content. Well, it's interesting. There's, I mean, I guess the biggest name would be Don Meyer. When I was, when I was young and a young coach coming up, I mean, he was a guy that shared and, uh, you know, young people definitely need to to go back and uh, dive into the archives of the Don Meyer stuff. And, uh, you know, even though, again, like with all coaches, I mean, there's not one coach that you philosophically agree with or you, you love everything they do. But for me, what was always the part that impressed me and I had a great chance to be able to meet him and bring him up for a clinic at the University of Windsor was just his sharing. I mean, he took he took great pride in his servitude to the game. And I always said that if I could be that type of person that gave back into the game and even of a small way, then I would feel that I not just took from the game, but I was able to give back. And uh, that, that, that was definitely a goal. Oh, for sure. I definitely put a, a little note down to check out his content because whatever way there are to grow the game and grow my knowledge of the game, I'm, I'm definitely going to take that, that opportunity. How, what was kind of like that, that starting process, like the, maybe the first day where 
b-ball emerge was kind of an idea in your head like how did you go about as great as the idea was how to execute it what did that look like for you well i think it's a, such an important lesson for everyone and i'm that person and i usually qualify that with people in conversation after say somebody offers something to me said oh look if you ever want to visit i'm i stop them and say listen if you're serious i'm the person that takes you up on that offer you know a coach in passing once said hey i'd love for you to come to italy to visit me i said coach if you're saying that I just want you to know that I, this is, I know a lot of people don't follow up on that and they don't go with that. I'm the person that does. And I got a chance seven years ago, eight years ago to go to Italy simply because somebody offered and a uh, great experience with that. So uh, what, what basketball immersion was at first was clearly an idea. The online world was evolving. Uh, my wife and I both at the same time, Jen Oliver runs Lev Fit Mama. We both dove into it. We learned more. And another lesson that uh, applies to so many people is at first, when I was ready to go, somebody else started an online basketball business before me that I initially was, hmm, maybe mine's not good. Maybe mine's not good enough. You know, and I had that doubt. And I think we all go through that as coaches and as people. And uh, gratefully, I got beyond it. And I said, listen, even if theirs is really good, which it was, I was going to make sure that mine was just as good, but it was going to be unique in its own way. And uh, that's really what it's become. Basketball immersion has been, is still very much a niche in the coaching world. And I'm grateful for that niche, but uh, you know, it's not meant necessarily for mass market. It's not necessarily for everyone, but uh, I hope someday it is. In, in these last few years, it's, it's evolved in so many different ways. And most recently with the podcast, that's one way you can show that. And then there's blogs, there's the YouTube channel. Like, can you kind of go walk through the progression of maybe like where you thought of, oh, maybe I should try this. Or maybe there's some other ones that we don't see anymore because they didn't work out, but these are the ones that did. But what, is, what did that kind of look like? Well, you hit it, you hit it right on. <laughs> I mean, I've thrown a lot of stuff at the wall and a lot of stuff hasn't worked. And, and it still doesn't work sometimes. Like, I don't want people to ever think that, you know, one, I'll stop trying stuff or two, that you're not going to have failure, because we all know that. I mean, there's no, nothing that works all the time. So, and especially online. I mean, that's, that's an even more important thing. Like, you know, as we speak, Twitter just came out with fleets, which is basically Insta stories for Twitter. And then you're, all of a sudden you're like, oh, I got to figure out a new thing. You know, if I want to, you know, keep up or I want to try and find it, or you, sometimes you decide, you know what, that's not going to add any more to the business or not going to add any anything more to coaches that I'm not doing already. So you kind of constantly go through that evaluative process about where am I going to focus my most, my most important time that's going to have the most impact. For me, that was my coaching life. You know, for 17 years as a college coach, I never had a full-time assistant. Everyone was a volunteer. They're tremendous people. But because of that, I constantly had to make decisions about what was going to most impact my players in their development and our team in terms of winning. And uh, those were constant choices that I had to make about removing the fluff and getting right to the stuff that's most going to impact those things. And I think that had a huge impact on kind of what basketball immersion started as and then what it evolved as. And uh, like I said, I didn't have the podcast right away. That wasn't something that was going to fit into my plans. It wasn't going to, it was going to take away from the other part that was going to grow. So it became something that I came more comfortable with later in the process and, uh, you know, really a thing that's helped push the brand as a whole to another level. So, you know, you can't start with everything, but you can start with the things that you think are most important.
It's interesting you brought up some of your college coaching stops before going into basketball immersion. I mean, obviously they taught you all the X's and O's and all the all the actual hard skills and more than piquing your interest because you kind of are the head coach of basketball immersion. What did that, what do those skills kind of look like in translating over there? Experiment. You know, that's really what it was. I mean, as a, as a small college coach, but I think as a college coach in general, uh, in Canada, where I grew up, I mean, I, I, I got a chance very early on in my coaching career, you know, when I was 21, 22, 23, to be able to coach as many teams as possible. I wasn't restricted by any rules or anything like that. I could coach as much as I wanted. So I figured, listen, there's, you know, it's not about chronological age, it's about experience. So I was going to coach as many teams and learn as much as I could. And man, I tried stuff. I failed. I tried stuff. I succeeded. I tried stuff I liked. And it went on like that for probably about eight years until I became a college coach at 28. And then once I was at that point, I made a pact to myself that, listen, you know, I can't, I can't just stay one thing. I can't stay one thing to ever be successful, especially when you're not talking about dealing with elite talent. So to me, it taught me to be able to try trial and error and to figure things out and to understand that this process is not linear. And again, that's a parallel to what I feel we teach within basketball immersion. And that's the path that I think most skill acquisition follows is this nonlinear trial and error, figure it out type of process. So my college coaching really taught me and confirmed for me what a lot of the motor learning skill acquisition research was also saying. And uh, that's what I've been fortunate to be able to bring into basketball immersion and hopefully expose to more people. Oh, fantastic. And then I, th- I thought it was interesting through all those lessons and, and you were talking about how at 21, 22, 23, you were coaching as, as many teams as you could. And obviously me being 20 years old, that's something that I'm trying to do now is just kind of get as many ex- of those kind of similar experiences as I, as I can. But after the, at the conclusion of all that, of that coaching, what, what's some advice you would have given yourself back when you first started that, I, I mean, obviously you were doing the right thing in terms of getting all those experiences, but what is something that could have kind of maybe accelerated that process for you? Well, I think there's a, I mean, it's always a challenge as a young coach. And I, re- I remember some of those moments early on where I felt, you know, a little bit of imposter syndrome, you know, I was a young coach and I felt like mm, maybe I can't coach, you know, we weren't winning. And ultimately that's unfortunately the way we value and the way we evaluate a coach. And for me, so much of it would have been to tell my younger self that, listen, I mean, it's, it goes beyond winning in terms of your evaluation. It's okay to be competitive, but to understand that, the little steps along the way should be valued and should be celebrated more. And that's really hard as a coach because we don't take those moments to be able to stop and celebrate minor accomplishments because we're always focused on major accomplishments, whether that's winning a game, winning a championship or whatever that you athletes graduating. If you're talking about college, like those are all major accomplishments. But for me, there's so many little things along the way that should have been more celebrated and, and appreciate it, I think. And you get immersed in that and then you lose that focus. So to me, that would have, been, would have been a really, really big thing to be able to explain to myself. And then the other one would have been just the importance of aftercare to my student athletes. And just realizing that, look, I can be intense. I can push them. I can challenge them, however you want to phrase it. But gosh, I got to put in a lot more time after practice, before the next practice, whatever it may be in just communicating and over communicating and creating a psychological safety for my players, but in also just connecting and reconnecting, connecting and reconnecting over and over again. And I would say as a young coach, those are some of the harder things to be able to appreciate and do. 
And, uh, you know, I have regrets about those. And I think that's why they're such good lessons for me to be able to share with people, because I think those are things that can really make you a better coach right away to appreciate those. And that, that last point, especially was, was super interesting and in, in connecting and reconnecting with your players. And I've heard you say before about how the number one priority um, in practice for you is to make sure that players enjoy themselves. Um, so can you kind of expand on that, on that topic a little bit more about how important it is maybe from a mental health side or even from an emotional side is to, to get your players to really enjoy what they're doing? Yeah. And I wasn't always successful with that for sure. Like, I mean, that it, 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 so enjoyment obviously leads to motivation. I'm not a motivator as a coach, but I can create an environment for my players to be motivated. And that's where I think so much emphasis needed to be placed for me as a coach was just on creating an environment where players enjoyed showing up to practice one, because they got challenged to be better. And two, because they got the opportunity to be able to play basketball. And those are to me, how, satisfaction athlete satisfaction and enjoyment translate i mean it's not frivolous fun you know it's not just going up and down and not getting coached it's getting coached and i really do truly believe this players want to improve but they want to be noticed as they improve and then they want to play basketball i mean they want to play basketball they want to show up in practice and just do drill after drill after drill and that's not to say a certain amount of development for a player is not tedious it is. It's boring. It's repetitions. It's all those things that we talk about as coaches. But if all of it is, then it's not going to be fun. And we got to make sure that we connect them with what I call dessert. And that is playing basketball. And too many of us in practice build, 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 build. And then at the end of the practice, they get to have dessert, right? They get to play. So for me, I wanted to have dessert throughout practice and make sure that they enjoy it and not just have dessert at the end of the meal, so to speak. That's great. And definitely something that I'm, I'm sure while people might not think, oh, you know, having too much fun and they get super serious and it might not lead to wins, but that's actually what, what does lead to wins is players actually having fun and enjoying themselves, which is, which is great. So then on that idea of the, a lot of the great advice that, that you've kind of picked up and really realizing yourself, but through your podcast, you've had over 130 episodes, you've, you've heard so much from all these amazing guests. What's maybe the biggest piece of advice that you heard that you were like, wow, like I, I really need to implement that right away from your time doing that there's there must be a lie i know that's a it's a really tough question because there's so much to pick from but if you just have to pick one maybe off the top of your head well there, i mean there's so much to pick from for sure and uh you know to me a lot of it has again come back to this this way for us to be able to create these these environments these environments right where uh we get a chance for our players to play but they get to be able to play in an environment where they're safe. And that to me has been such a big part of the podcast is kind of having some of these deep conversations about vulnerability, about how to develop these relationships that go beyond obviously the court. And to understand that my role as a coach is not tied up in my ability to be perfect. And I think that's been a shining thing throughout is just, the humility and vulnerability that coaches have shared within on the podcast, which has really grown through those 130 plus episodes is that coaches come on there and they're willing to be able to openly share and be vulnerable. And I think it helps us all humanize a coach and really understand that. And then the other part is obviously with the psychological safety. One of the biggest takeaways is this, this concept of helping your athletes understand if they belong and if they're doing well. And I can't tell you how many times that's kind of come up in different ways and to be able to say, okay, woo, did, did, today, did I let my athlete know that they belong 
And did I let them know that they're doing well in some way while at the same time pushing and challenging them? And I, those themes, I mean, clearly there's so much technical, tactical stuff that's come up too. And there's so many little nuggets and stuff that, oh, I'm like, that's a great idea. I wish I knew that when I was coaching or I want to coach now so I can try that. But I think so much of it has come back to those things, just understanding and, and, and for our role as a coach to be able to humanize each other. I mean, again, the media doesn't do us any services in terms of how they portray us as coaches. So we need to do a better job as coaches and kind of driving a narrative of saying, listen, we're human. We make mistakes. Our players don't always execute what we want them to execute, right? That happens. And we're also humans playing against humans. So there's all this uncertainty and all these factors that come into play. And, you know, that's what sometimes leads to the fact that, hey, listen, John, I may play against you and we may have a much better team, but you may win that night. And that's part of this human versus human activity that I think is so important. So that has shone through so through so many episodes and through so many coaches at different levels. Oh, fantastic. And, and I'm kind of curious too, hearing all that. And you've obviously had so many episodes. I, I've only had 30 up to the point up to this point when we're recording and my show's already changed so much in terms of my approach and how I've done it. How much has it changed for you? And what, what have you kind of, in, in terms of how you've evolved it over the course of 130 episodes, what does that look like for you? So that, it's a great question. Cause if I went back to coaching now, how would I be different? Well, I'm not sure how much as a base philosophy, I would be that different. But what I think I would be as I would be more focused on certain things that may have been part of my base philosophy, but maybe I didn't emphasize enough or spend as much time on. And I already shared that concept of aftercare. I mean, I understood it. I mean, psychologically, I understood it. And in reality, sometimes I was very aware of the fact that I didn't want to be too controlling of my student athletes. I didn't want to kind of be always in their life, always in their life. But now I go back to that and say, you know what? They probably needed more of me in some ways, whether it's texting or talking after practice, talking before the next practice, you know, pregame, postgame, whatever it is. And I always felt like somehow I was too much and I needed to be actually more, but more in a way that helped them understand more of what, as we said, come back to, you know, that they belong and that they're doing well. And those things kept shining, they still shine through to me as saying, okay, if I was to coach again, I need to do more of that, not less of that. And uh, I think I was very protective and probably overprotective of my student athletes time rather than that. I mean, I definitely still come back to this and I feel in some cases I was, and I really regret that, but I don't want to be their last coach. Like, I don't want to be their last coach. Now, a natural playing experience for a player, especially at the college level, it ends after college. But I certainly kind of went into it from a young age, from a lot of hard-nosed coaches saying, you know what, if, if you coach them so hard that somebody doesn't want to do it anymore, you're actually doing a good job, right? And to me, it's like, okay, I get that because we want to push, we want to challenge, we want to create competition, but can I still do that and show more of that vulnerability to the athlete and more of that philosophical side. And I think, John, when you listen to me and you talk to me, you see a really deep philosophical side. And it was really hard to balance that with being competitive. And that's another challenge for young coaches is this is, yeah, you got to be competitive because you got to push, you got to challenge. But at the same time, can you be vulnerable? Can you be human and show them that humanity side, which I think is, again, equally important. Um, you know, it became easier for me when I had my daughters, to be honest, because my daughters used to come to practice all the time. 
and they just loved being around the gym. It was nothing to do with basketball. They just loved being around the gym. And it made me much more aware of the fact that one, I was modeling parenting. Like a lot of my players didn't have great parental situations. So I'm modeling what it looks like to be a parent. And it also helped me appreciate and understand that, ooh, okay. So what are they seeing from me that will influence them? And different things like that, that kind of strike me as going, okay, in a way, my daughters became my best mentors because it was constantly this check and balance of going, oh, okay, they're here. How would they want to be coached? Or what would they want to see from their dad and coaching other people? So, you know, sometimes those kind of unseen moments are the moments that kind of impact you the most. Thinking about how much, obviously, you've grown, how much people emerge has grown in the last few years is, is staggering. Where do you kind of see yourself taking it maybe in the next few months, in the next few years? What, what's, what's, what's next for people emerging? Well, John, you, you have an unfair advantage because you've been exposed a little bit to this intern program where, <laughs> you know, we have interns literally from around the world kind of in the back end now seeing some of the things that, uh, you know, we're working on, some of the things that we're growing. And, uh, you know, to me, Alex Sarama has been just an unbelievable resource. Uh, you know, this is a compliment, but it's, it's, it's really someone like myself, except younger, you know? So it's someone that was, is, is hungry to share. It's someone who has a great passion for learning and a passion for sharing. And to me, that's been a huge part of growth over the next, well, it's been since he joined last year, but also going moving forward, it's going to be him helping to drive some of these initiatives going forward. Uh, we're obviously going to not stand still with some of those ideas, and we're going to continue to bring people on board. Um, the basketball podcast is going to continue to grow in terms of its influence around the world. And then basketball immersion, I think there's a real opportunity for us to be able to make an impact you know, from federation levels on down. And uh, we really hope to do that is to be able to do a lot more to be able to help build and support people who are doing a great job with the game. Uh, immersionvideos.com is another area where now we have a platform. Uh, if John has some great ideas to be able to share, now we can create a platform where we value the coach's intellectual property. Uh, we're not trying to take your intellectual property. We're going to financially reward you for your property and make you a partner where you have the percentages in your favor, but it gives us an opportunity to be able to help other coaches share the game as well and share the things that they want to do. So lots of exciting things on the horizon and, uh, you know, some things clearly that uh, are going to come sooner than later, but uh, yeah, it's fun every day to be able to show up in that community and be able to say, Hey, listen, we have a lot of great ideas uh, and we just don't have time to do them all yet, but uh, it's coming. I'm so excited to be along for the ride. And Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it, everything you've done and how inspiring that's been for me. So thank you. Well, thank you. And John, again, every little thing like this and every big thing, you know, as this becomes a bigger thing is, is just tremendous for the game. And I'm grateful for any opportunity to be able to share. And uh, just again, appreciate what you do. And as a young coach, I mean, this is, this is your time and you have a great opportunity to be able to share and grow. And I'm um, so, so grateful for people like you. Thanks for listening to the Big Fellas Podcast. Check us out on all major social media platforms at Big Fellas Pod to join the chop up. You can also listen to us on every podcast platform on the planet. Stay tuned for the next episode, Big Fellas.